This message is brought to you by The Covenant Nation. Uh, let's take a confession. One to go. As I sit to listen to the word of God today, a door of utterance has been opened unto me, and I hear the voice of God clearly speaking to me. This is the way to go, walk ye in it. I listen under the influence of the Spirit of God, and I am not distracted by anything or anyone. The Word of God is food to my spirit. I am strengthened by it this morning. It is wine to my heart, creating joy within me. It is oil to my face, causing my life to shine, giving me victory in everything that I do. As my eyes make contact with the scriptures used in this message, the Spirit of God opens new things to me. He also brings to my remembrance things Jesus once showed me. I come to understand God's system on the earth, and I receive instruction, encouragement, correction, and the enablement to live out God's will. Amen. All right, we're continuing on a subject of God's love, which is called in Greek, agape. And I want to speak about another aspect of that love. And the word used is compassion in the New Testament. And you will always, will always see that Jesus who came as the express image of God's person, uh, the one who really demonstrated to us who the Father is. Uh, the Bible says, when cases there, and Jesus was moved by compassion. In other words, when this agape is in active operation, where it is not just you're now overriding an emotion, a negative emotion, it's not just you being now on the defensive. Now this is actively in operation. Uh, it is known as compassion. Uh, and we said there are uh, four different words used to describe love in Greek. Uh, the first one we said is eros, which is an attraction between sexes. All these expressions of love are given by God. But agape ranks highest, and God who designed it knows that agape is the foundation. In fact, what Jesus was teaching was this, that any man who hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, and he was talking, now he wasn't, we just say, well, I built my, my, my life on the word of God, and you people can't really understand what that statement means when you say, I built it on the word of God. What he was really saying here was, whosoever doeth these sayings of mine, those are the words he used. And he was preaching a message. And at the end of the message, he was speaking to people in the context of that message, whosoever doeth the sayings of mine, in other words, what I just taught here, is like a man who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house upon a rock. It says when the storm comes, when all this comes, it will reveal that the man was built or built his house 
on the rock. What Jesus taught in the context of that message was actually agape love. What he taught was loving your enemies, doing good to them that hate you, blessing people that curse you. So all these other expressions of love, we said the next is storge, which is the kind that exists among family members, or what you call patriotism, all right, when a person has a love for their nation. All these things can be contaminated. They are subject to change because they are expressions of emotions. Two friends who are operating in filial can become enemies if certain things happen, and we see it every day. People that are drawn by heroes can find themselves, all right, in fierce battle in a divorce courts there, where there is that hatred for themselves. People that love their nation can, a football match or whatever it is, be screaming and shouting with one. The same people can turn against that nation and speak bitter words concerning their nation if agape love is not there. Because it is the practice and the principle that when Satan tries to contaminate all these other expressions of your emotion towards a person which is good, agape love overrides what the enemy wants to do, which is to breed hatred on the inside and for bitterness to take root. Agape overcomes all of that and causes that person to still extend goodwill onto the individual there while there is, all right, restoration in their emotional life. So, agape really is living an offense-free life. Uh, that's what Paul taught, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. It is obedience, all right, to God, because this is the commandment of the New Testament, and this is how we will know that we are true believers if we have love one for another. So only one who surrenders his or her will to God, and leaves, this is what I want to share this uh, today, leaves the life of an intercessor, can actually stay offense-free. In other words, you are living the life of an intercessor. And this is where compassion and the aggressive form of love actually is, and not just the defensive form of love. That is, a person who has been lifting weights and doing a lot of exercises, and that person is fit, in the day where there is a demand, all right, on that person, because they have a routine, it will be very easy for them to overcome certain things. So you don't start practicing love when something goes wrong, all right, because the court can be so deep all right, the offense can be so deep that people struggle there. You have to be or have the front foot there, which means you are living the life of an intercessor. Uh, the Bible tells us Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for us. And that lifestyle of an intercessor is where compassion, first and foremost, is made manifest. 
So, uh, an intercessor is not just one who prays. Uh, there are many people that pray, all right, from a religious standpoint, or even can say that they are intercessors, but they are judgmental people, all right? They are very critical people, and there is really no joy within their life because of their critical approach and sense of superiority. So, an intercessor is not just one who prays, but one who is first of all moved with compassion for the condition of another. In other words, uh, spots a condition of another person. So an intercessor, let me tell you how an intercessor is. An intercessor comes to church and an intercessor sees somebody sitting in a particular place. Let's assume they sit right there and there's somebody because people like sitting where they usually sit and this person sits at this other side and they see the person every time looking heavy and bothered. I mean, many years ago, uh, there was someone who was attending church and told me a story that it was a guy that brought her to church because you, um, um, uh, um, um, they both, uh, he used to take her to work and used to play my messages, this was around 2008, play my messages in the car. So she started coming to the church. And that, so I asked her after the person, she says, I haven't seen him. So I said, we're going to ask after. She says, but I noticed at one point in church that he would just sit down and stare into the sky while he's listening to the message, and he seemed bothered. So I asked her, I said, find out what's going on. And she said, he had returned back to his hometown. Things didn't work out. He ran in some trouble there and all of that. Now, an intercessor sees that kind of thing and is moved with compassion. And the intercessor begins to pray for that person that they actually may not know at all, but they just see that the countenance of this person is down. And, and we have to bring the church, all right, to a, this place, all right? You're not getting yourself uh, as a busybody in other people's matters. You're, you're not trying to find out, oh, so what's happening in your life? I say, that's the person looking for Jesus. An intercessor can just see a person here and start praying in the spirit. And you see, when you begin to operate like that, and this is where I really want to get into in this love message, and I won't stop until I get there. Because I remember I was meditating on it while I was in school. There was a time when in the executive, we had a sister fellowship. And it was actually a fellowship that was called uh, CLF. It was in Ife. And one of the people there, he's a pastor now, or I said to us, and he said, look, that fellowship, they have more love in expression than inside our own fellowship in University of Lagos. And the chap now said, ah, you know, there was a message that was preached. He was saying, this was in the 80s now, that transformed that fellowship there. Uh, so there was a debate as to whether one message can change an entire church or one message cannot change, all right? Of course, it was not being a gradual thing. And then one day, maybe a message came and broke the thing all right through. But, you know, it is about that compassion. It's about people, all right, noticing what is going on, knowing people after the spirit and not after the flesh, that you can't be making intercession for a person for an entire year without you even having a physical conversation with the person, except the door is opened up for you to have that kind of conversation because you are not a busybody in other men's matters. And you can see people who are busybody in other men's matters and don't pray for them. And I am telling you, and I can show this from the scripture, the reason why many people are in trouble is because their friends don't pray for them. That what happens is the friends interact, they do this and have emotional, but there is really no genuine prayer. I can prove it from the scriptures. 
that if, in fact, I was going to call the message of, of the title of the message that every person needs an intercessor. Now, so, a person begins to make intercession, which means you are just burdened by that person. You see that a person used to come in and drive in to church, and you notice that this person is now just coming with public transport, and there's just that weight that is on the inside of you. You're not going to be the person first and foremost to say, so what's wrong with you? What happened to you? And all of that. All right? But there's that just that burden, and you know, you just start praying and traveling and all of that. And what happens is that a connection happens in the spirit, and then over a process of time, you may just meet somewhere, and the person begins to tell their story without you having met that person and physically and talked about it, and the person just shares what happened in their life, and you knew you picked up something in the spirit. Uh, you understand? It? You picked up something in the spirit there. Okay? So Jesus ever lives to make intercession. So an intercessor is not just one who prays, but one who is first moved with compassion for the condition of another and seeks to do something about their failings, all right, and enters into what is called the prayer of faith for them. Now, when you enter into what is called the prayer of faith, it means I am not coming out of this place until the change occurs. I'm not just saying one word of prayer here. I am not. And that's why, all right, when you get into session, uh, you may have just five people in your life you are committed to in intercessory prayer. And what happens is these five people, you understand that, you know, they will never lose in life. Uh, they will become great and powerful people. You know, I went to preach in Ife, uh, and, and there was a young man who was preaching. I've invited him to preach, all right, at, at Wabek before, this last Wabek. And so he preached, and I, I, was, I sat down and said, ah, okay, and he was talking to, because it was Ife. So he had gone to University of Ife, uh, Ife then, that's AU. So he was using certain words for people in the campus to understand. So I said, I ah, got saved there. That's true, that's true. It was a fellowship leader. And the gentleman told me, he said, you know, they had a crusade back then. He said, we spent 50,000 naira. He he said back then, 50,000 naira was a lot of money. He said we spent it for the crusade. Nobody gave their life to Christ. We preach, preach, we Only him came forward. He has one of the fastest growing churches in London today. Only him. And God can do it for just one person. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? So an intercessor does not judge or condemn people or a person. They understand that, and this is where compassion comes, the deeper issues that lie before, beyond, all right, the surface manifestations. So they can see surface manifestations, character defects in people. They don't judge those people. They don't condemn those people and say, oh, you're a born-again Christian, how can you be behaving like this? They understand that these things might even be beyond their will. Paul said, I, in my inward man, he said to will was present, but how to perform, I find not. He, he said, when I will to do that which is right. So there are many people who are involved in that struggle, but when you see the manifestation on the outside, you can get critical and judgmental, but the truth about the matter is that person has had, I want to show this here, no real intercessor in their lives to help them out of that kind of situation. And that's why, I mean, my pastor, when I grew up, I, I knew he prayed for a group of us. And he told my mother, he said, listen to me. He told her one day, he said, listen to me. He said, you see your son. 
He said, they will, he, he, said, he, said he will get to the top 1% in the body of Christ in this country. He said, mark my words. He said it in 1988. That's when you are making, that Paul said, uh, he says, my children of whom I travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. In other words, a person can travail for another and that person cannot backslide again in their life because somebody else has prayed for them. So an intercessor, all right, Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34 says this. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is at the right hand of God, who maketh what? Intercession. So, you can judge a person for something, you can condemn a person for something, but the intercessor is there and says, I'm not judging, I'm not condemning, neither am I condoning, I am doing something about it. So, compassion is what causes God, all right, to move. And uh, that's he moves with compassion. There's, it's like a force on the inside and, and moves that person, all right, to compassion. Uh, and the truth about the matter is that if you look at it in the balance there, and that's why the Bible says if you give all your goods to the poor and have not love, it is nothing. Now, let me put up that scripture where it says, all right, if you see your brother that has need of good, and he says, and you shut up your bowels of mercy, Whoso hath world goods and said his brother I need, and shut off, shutted up his bowels of compassion from him. Now put verse 16. It says, Hereby we perceive the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Put verse 15. It says something, it says this. All right, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and knoweth no hath eternal life. Then he goes and says, whosoever, or I love verse 16, lays down his life for him. Now, the truth is, if you haven't laid down your life for your brother, this is what I want to show you, first and foremost, when you give to somebody in need something, your motives may not be right. That has to come before. Uh, that's why the Bible says, forgive, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Then he says what? Give. If you can't be judgmental, and you may have condemnation of a person, yet you are giving to that person, and the motive for your giving, which means you can be in unforgiveness, and still on the outside, be given, which means it's motivated. That's why the Bible says that a person can say eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. So real love starts from the place of intercession. I'll show this here. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 to show compassion. It tells us, Matthew 9, 36, quick. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then Matthew 14, 14, Matthew 14, 14. And then he says, I want to show compassion in Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them. And he healed their sick. So there was some motion in him and it was compassion. Matthew 18 and verse 27 we say compassion again, and it's all over in the ministry of Jesus, Matthew 18. Uh, and the Lord of the servant 
was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him of the debt. So we see him being moved. Everything he did, the motivation was compassion for the people. When he healed the sick, there was compassion. It wasn't because he wanted to be successful in ministry. Uh, when he taught them, it wasn't because he wanted to demonstrate how much he knew. He wanted to solve the problems in their lives. Uh, when he healed, because he wanted to relieve the woman of, of the condition that was in her body. He took the sufferings of that woman and the sorrow of that woman upon themselves. That's what he was saying. And that's why when they came to meet him and said, you healed on the Sabbath, he said, is there no compassion in you? If your animal falls into the well, what will you do? In other words, we're not doing this according. It's compassion that is moving us to do this. And a person who will operate in compassion at that level, even in public ministry, will be the kind of person in private who is moved in compassion to pray for people. Are you following what I'm saying? Because once you are not like that in intercessory prayer, you are a performing artist in ministry. Where there's no way you are not an intercessor that way, what you are doing is stage performance, which is stagecraft. It is not ministry. If a person is not moved in compassion behind the scenes, when they give, it's witchcraft. In other words, it's how can I manipulate this person? So, if a person, I mean, I mean, I mean, it, 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 well, that's not, this is not a single All right. So, I mean, if a person has heroes without real compassion, then any gift they are giving is tricky. Isn't that what we're saying? So, compassion for one another is essential in a church, in a community of saints. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 7 to 9 Zechariah 7, 7 to 9 tells us, Should you not hear the words which the Lord cried unto the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity and the cities thereof round about her and men inhabited the south and the plain? Verse 8, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying that this word the Lord said, when they were in prosperity and people were all over, he says, this is what I told them that they did. Execute true judgment. Show mercy all right, and compassion every man to his neighbor. In other words, is that flow of compassion, all right, among people. In, in other words, a person just, look, we're not, we're not doing, uh, uh, let, let's try to entice newcomers to join our church and say, all right, uh, put prayer point, we'll be praying for you and we don't pray. That's gimmick. What we are saying is, if somebody walks into a congregation and is not properly dressed and, you know, shoes and all of that and walks in and sits down, you are guaranteed. There are three people in that congregation without any formality or any organized religion that will pick it up in the spirit and say, we're going to pray this guy back into, into lifestyle. That that's the kind of people they are. And so the person comes in and knows that I walked into that church and then within the week something happens in the life of that person and says, wait, what is the only thing I did? And says, I'm coming back. Like a chap told me back then, all right, wasn't that? He said, look, I came out with the first class. My brother came out, my junior brother came out with the first class. He said, I looked at him, was moving way ahead of me in life. He said, the only thing I knew that was different, he said, this is why I came to Covenant. He said, the only thing that was going on was that he was attending Covenant, I was attending another church. So I switched church. So compassion was used for the servant who was unable to pay. The Samaritan who helped the wounded man had compassion on him. Now, 
there's someone who sends me, a journalist who sends me every morning, send me a devotional once. And I said, I love the devotional. So I told him that you should send every morning to me. And this morning's devotional, this word was read. I said, you need to see this. So I think he listens to me preach. Could you put it up? All right, the right up. Now, this is what it says here. On a bitter, cold Virginia night, an old man waited, all right, on a path near the river. He was hoping somebody on a horse will come by and carry him across. His beard was glazed with frost and his body numb, from, and numb before he finally heard horses coming. Anxiously, he watched as several horsemen passed by without even noticing him. Finally, only one rider remained. The old man caught his eye and asked, Sir, you mind giving me a ride to the other side? Graciously, the rider helped him onto his horse and sensing was half frozen, decided to take him all the way home, which was several miles out of his way. As they rode, the horseman asked, why didn't you ask one of the others to help you? I was the last one. What if I had refused? The old man said, I've lived a while, son, and I know people pretty well. When I looked into their eyes, I saw no concern at all for me. So I knew it was useless to ask. But when I looked into your eyes, I saw kindness and compassion. At the door of the old man's house, the rider stopped, looked up, and silently prayed. God, may I never get so busy with my own affairs that I fail to respond to the needs of others. That's compassion. That's what we're talking about. That may it not be that you're coming to church so much for what you can get. That the person who is sitting beside you and sighs in heaviness, there's even no nudge in your heart to pray for that person. May it not be that the thing is so much a consumer gospel that you are so involved, all right, in what you are doing that somebody walks into this congregation every Sunday with a handicapped child and you never interceded for that family. That's what I'm talking about. That one prayer didn't come from you, but you're trying to find out the principles on how to succeed. That's what he's saying about compassion. So love is not just, I'm overcoming. Over, over. The reason why men will struggle to overcome unforgiveness is because they're not even aggressive. Do you get what I'm saying? Which means if you're on that aggressive side, Satan can't even get you on the defensive. So Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the crowd without a shepherd. When he saw hunger in the faces of those who had followed him to the desert for days without food. He had compassion on the blind man and on the leper. And compassion means you enter into the condition of that person and you are saying that I'm not coming out of this condition. It's as though it were on you until there's some relief in the life of this person. The greatness of Jesus was his willingness to enter into the human situation. Moved by compassion which compelled him to stay there till they received help. In other words, Compassion says we will stay there till they receive help. I was listening to Kenneth Hagin's teaching on soul travail, and God told him, he said, listen. He said, he told the church there, 
They, we said it, he said, they were, and this was the message that brought about, uh, th one of the key things that brought about, about four things brought about massive change into the body of Christ. That is, the largest churches in this city, in, in, like in Lagos, was a thousand people. And this was breakthrough. This was breakthrough. Even Pastor Ea, they will tell you that if they had 2,000 in their convention, they would dance and dance and dance in the early 80s and dance. Now, if you go there and you say there are 2,000 people in Redeemed Convention, you say, God, Ikabod, the Lord has left them. But they would dance at that. What brought about the transformation that just one small center will have 2,000 people today? And they have thousands. All right. One of the major things was intercessory prayer and soul travel. When Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Cohen began to teach it. And Kenneth Hagin said back then in 1979, he said he went into a church. He said there were 87 people. He said the Lord gave him this word. Tell them they will take this city, it will be theirs. If they will get into apostolic power with intercessory prayer, soul travail, and compassion. He said the city will be theirs. He said we tried. He put it there. He said we have done our best. We are telling you what we did. He said we gave ourselves to soul travail intercessory prayer. He said, we came back in one year. They had 837 people inside that church. He said they had won the city. Soul travel, based on compassion. I'm just describing what compassion is. Compassion is not, you know, it's not this formality. There. Compassion is that you just know that, look, people, and you pray for people. Compassion is that, is, you know, you can give somebody 1,000 naira who is begging but not think in your heart he can ever get out of that situation. Are you following what I'm saying? Which means who is that person? He's a beggar over there. Didn't you see the people that were bringing the man to beg were angry when he got up by himself? In other words, we have committed you to this condition. How dare you get up and, and stand up by yourself? The greatness of Jesus was his willingness to enter into the human situation moved by compassion, which compelled them to stay there till they received help. And Jilek said sometimes we'll just sit down with people in conditions in their body and we will stay there praying and praying and praying until they will get relief. The sorrow of people was also his sorrow. He was never annoyed at the foolishness of people even when their foolishness brought them into that condition. He was always sorry at their condition. He never saw people as criminals to be condemned or nuisances to be avoided, but people to be bound and brought back home. You know, our church in New York, the pastor there is a medical doctor. So one day he called me and said his immediate boss died. And she, she, was a, she was a top professor. And she was going back with her husband for the weekend. Uh, she was 66. And I think the husband was about 80. And they were driving and they were in a head-on collision. And she died. So he now told me one day, he said, look, this is Fox News report on, on her funeral. Because they had the funeral service. So I was watching the clip, and they showed the interview of the woman because Foxman had gone to the hospital. And this hospital is in a place in New York, which is Brooklyn, which is where you have in that area a lot of people because it was a trauma unit. So you had, she was the head of the trauma unit. You had a lot of stabs and a lot of shootings and killings and all of that. All right, it's a real tough area. And I was listening to her. And when they were interviewed, I said, I keep telling my doctors, I keep telling my doctors, 
when patients come in, don't forget, you are not the jury, you are not the judge, you are the doctor. That when they come in, your business is not how they got to this point. Your business is treat them. Because you can interfere and say, well, what happened? Eh, you stab somebody, then they shot you. It's good. And then it can affect. Now, that is not your business. The court is the one to judge that. You are to show compassion even if you know that this person shot somebody. Your business is to show compassion. That the judge and the jury will decide how long they should spend in jail. You are to treat So 1 John chapter 4, verse, 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 verse 10 and 11, 1 John 4. So what's this compassion here? Herein is the love of God. Now we've said this over and over that we love because he first what? Loved us. Now what's that love that he showed to us? Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, which is a substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, which means how? By his son being a substitute for our sins, we ought also to have what? Love one another. In other words, there is no real love if you come in contact with the sins and the flaws of a person and therefore you decide that based on these flaws here, that, that listen, this person I don't and you 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 cannot, you, you, you don't um, um, take any responsibility there for helping this person out of their flaws and their infirmities. And it starts, all right, with intercessory prayer. It doesn't, first of all, start with um, you're trying to resolve something mentally, or trying to resolve something verbally. See, somebody came to, let me just hide what I want to say. Somebody came to report somebody to me, and they had many years ago, they had a problem in their marriage. And so the person was reported to me. And as a principle, I don't get involved in people's marriages because you can worsen the situation if you do. When I say get involved, I'm saying that if you tell me as a pastor, and I feel that, look, if I get involved, I might undermine the authority of the man inside the house. I know many Christians, you can worsen the, the situation. So I'm always very circumspect about it. So I started praying for the person. I made intercession with them. Now, a relative of that person came to meet me about two years after and said, Pastor, I never believed in my life people could change. But whatever you did, he thought I said something. You said to this person, he said, it worked. He said, in my, I've been a Christian for years. I never believed people could change. He said, the change was radical. He said, in all the years of it, he said, before my eyes, the transformation in this person, I didn't say one word. Because he's sensitive. If you go and say something, the guy gets home and tells the wife, so you are reporting me in church. And what that means is he's one leg in, one leg out. And the chances are, once that happens, he's listening to the pastor with two ears now. Let me hear you say anything remotely that sounds like a condition inside my house 
That's the last day he's coming to church. So I don't just do it. So you just start praying. I don't have, so when I preached to him, I said to myself, for Bishop Omobude, um, I said, look, I, I don't even like counseling. Because you see, counseling sometimes hinders ministry. Because when you do counseling and you want to start giving example, you have to be calculating now. Everybody you've counseled, you are sifting the example you want to give. Now, in all innocence, you just want to <coughs> excuse me, give an example, but you have to start sifting it. You want to say, Anita, you say, wait, did anybody, Anita, come and meet me? Then you are sifting, sifting. So what happens a lot of times is even when God wants to speak through you, right, that thing interferes, all right, with it. So it's propitiation. Uh, so what, this is what God is saying. Job chapter, um, this is what he's saying. Job chapter 33, verse 20 to verse 24. This is what God is looking for, all right, in the lives of people. So that his life abhorred bread and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen. His bones that they were, that they were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth now unto the grave, his life unto the destroyers. If there be a messenger with him, a, a, with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show him his uprightness, he says, then he is gracious unto him and said, deliver him from going down to pit. Put it up in the message translation. Let's hear what the message translation says. That the person is in a condition. All right, verse 20. Message translation, verse 20. So they can't stand the sight of food, which means this person is in this condition, has no appetite for their favorite traits. Verse 21. They lose weight, wasting away to nothing, reduced to a bag of bones. They hang on the cliff edge of death, knowing the next breath may be their last. 23. But even then, an angel could come, a champion. There are thousands of them to take up your cause. All right? A messenger who will mercifully intervene, canceling the death sentence with the words, I've come up with the ransom. Put the Living Bible translation, Living Bible, or the New International Version. Put NIV. All right? NIV. Let me see. Okay, verse 22. It says, he sold the, verse 23, it says, uh, verse 24. All right, do you have the Living Bible? The Living Bible, you can get the Living Bible translation. It says, an intercessor. But if a messenger from heaven is there to do what? Intercede for him as a friend. To show him what is right. Next verse. Then God pities him and says, set him free. Do not make him die for I have found a what? Substitute. So when Jesus became a substitute for our sins, in everybody's life where they have infirmities, he's looking for somebody who will be that substitute, which means to take responsibility and say, look, uh, this thing wrong with this person, is going, we're going to right, get this thing right. And the way we're going to get this thing right is we're going to start making intercession. So Job was in a situation, Elihud, it was what Elihud was praying and interceding for Job. Now when you're not interceding, if you're giving counsel, that's why I've said there's no ministry without intercession. Because what you're just doing, you're just talking. All right, you're making counsel there. Then you come out and when he now saw Job, he came out, he said, look, all these people don't have the answer in their mouth. The reason is that they are not praying for you. I have been praying for you. This is what you should do. And began 
all right, to speak to Job there. And words began to come out that brought light. So an intercessor is that way. First John chapter 5 and verse 16, all right, it says that if you see your brother sin a sin, if any man sin a brother sin a sin which will be not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them. So the person is interceding. What this means is that God gives that person the life for this other person. So you receive the life, all right, for this other person. Finally, Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 13, all right, it's two scripture, Ezekiel 22 verse 13. And it says here, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, and I will not destroy it, but I found none. Then if we look at Ezekiel 13, verse 5, I want to close with this. Ezekiel 13, verse 5, I want to show something. You have not gone into the gaps there, gone up into the gaps, neither have made up a hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the day of battle. Now, here's the point I'm making. He was telling the people, you've not gone into making decision to make the hedge. Now, in Job chapter 1, verse 10, what did Satan say about Job? He said, Job, he said, you have put Job 110. Hath thou not made a what? An hedge about him, about his house, about all that he has. When a person is hedged, it means there are intercessors around that person. Once there are intercessors around that person, it means that person is hedged. So what happens is you just cannot get to that person. Now, if a person, instead of having intercessors around, has judgmental and critical people who see the fault in that person at close range and go and start judging and criticizing, Satan now has, because that's an accuser of brethren, that point of accusation to hit that person's life. But once they keep their inner circle such that their inner circle is with intercessors, intercessors are not prayer. Listen to what I'm saying. They're not just people that pray who, a person can be praying and saying, I'm praying, I'm praying a lot, but really, they are not hedging people. So, what they're doing is, you can be praying to become known in a congregation. Now, I'm a prayer warrior. But that's not what I say. We're saying you are hedging, which means that it's my responsibility. So, what's going to happen is, because of my interaction here with this, and that's what the family is all about. That's why God asked Cain, he said, where's your brother? In other words, you should be hedging your brother. He says, am I my brother's keeper? I said, yes. You are to be the hedge around which means that they can't get to your brother because you are the hedge, all right, around there. So you are to build a hedge, and that's what's supposed to happen in the family. Family members are to hedge for themselves there, which means Satan just can't come in because intercession is going on there. They're not detached. They built that hedge, and that's what uh, uh, intercessory prayer is. So here's what we're saying. You see somebody walk into this place, and you see him down. He has nothing. You know the first thing? He has no intercession. Once you look at it in the spirit, you know, this person has no intercessor. I will be the intercessor of this person. And I will build that hedge round about this person. All right? Now, once you don't understand the love of God, you can like somebody deeply, but you can also be the instrument Satan is using to destroy the person. In other words, parents can even, instead of hedging the children, are the ones saying, the way you are behaving, you will see what will happen in your life. Which means you are the one opening the door to Satan with your words. That's condemnation. Because it is, all right, just that sturge love is not agape. 
That's why even when Peter had that friendliness to Jesus and said, he said, get thee behind me, Satan, which means that in the manifestation of filio, Satan had contaminated it. So without agape, all right, those things even become tools that Satan will use to even wreak havoc in people's life. So you must understand that, listen, here's my responsibility. If I say this person is my friend, I'm the hedge in this person's life. That's, I'm going to surround this person here with a hedge and be praying and interceding for this individual. And so we must begin, all right, to get, and people start getting sensitive to things there and not just think about themselves and just walk into a congregation and walk out of a congregation and walk into a congregation every day and walk out of a congregation and walk in every day and just walk out every day, all right. Even if you don't talk to anybody, you should be praying for people that you're connected. Uh, are you following what I'm saying? You should be able to know, all right? In other words, if you sit in an area, you should know that ah, this person in this area hasn't, hasn't shown up. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not just going to start any rubbish of putting your notes, people, your business, other people's business, businesses there. God didn't send anybody to be busy, but he said, well, you know, I've been praying for you. You know, I just see that you're, you're, you are looking. Nobody sent you to go and do that kind of nonsense. All right? That's all that is. I say, I just came to be somebody, you know, I just, I'm trying to find fishing for information in somebody's life. Uh, you, are you from here? That's not what we're talking about. You may, you, you're talking about making a session for somebody. You may never talk to that person about it. You just see the condition in this person's life has changed. And you don't go and meet the person and say, listen to me. You know, your life has changed now. You know, I was the one praying for you. It was me that was praying for you. All right? God will show you that it's not you. Anybody that will take the glory to themselves, it's not them God will use. Are you following what I'm saying? It's not them God is going to use. All right? Even for Jesus to have been born and come to the earth, there were intercessors who were praying that thing. All right. And that's how we should start thinking and getting into this law. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. By the power of your spirit, as you establish us in this truth, let it take deep root right into our consciousness, bring forth fruit. Let love be shed and compassion upon us in this congregation that it flows as a stream for that where the move of the Spirit is, and that our hearts are knit together in love as we enter into the depth of intercession, praying and having the Spirit minister to one another, minister to one another.